You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Are you concerned about big tech monitoring your data? Many of you might be aware that your actions on the internet are under surveillance. Tech companies and government agencies use this data to build profiles on you that monitor your beliefs, relationships, and habits. A lot of this data is harvested from the apps on your computer. One of my fans has designed a desktop app called Synthetic Notes, which is a normal notes app with several key differences. Unlike most apps, it doesn't use a subscription model. That means once you've bought it once, it's yours forever. Compare that to other companies that charge you over $100 a year. Synthetic Notes also stores all of your data on your local machine, away from psychoanalytic algorithms and cloud databases. This, combined with the fact that it's not a subscription app, means that Synthetic Notes never needs to connect to the internet. You can safely quarantine the app, and it will still work completely fine. By paying for Synthetic Notes, you are buying back your privacy. Go to syntheticapps.com forward slash Zuby, and use my code Zuby, Z-U-B-Y, at checkout to get 25% off. That's syntheticapps.com forward slash Zuby, and use my code Zuby at checkout for 25% off. Protect your privacy. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, on today's episode, this is a long-awaited one. I'm sure people are going to be very excited about this episode. We have on the founder of Project Veritas and the author of the new book, American Muckraker. And this is the one and only James O'Keefe. Welcome to the show. Hey, Zuby. Good to be with you. No doubt, man. So I've done a brief intro there, but for the uninitiated people who may not be familiar with who you are and what you do, tell them a little bit about yourself, James. Well, uh, as the title suggests of this book, I am an American muckraker. What does that mean? It's a person who exposes corruption, fraud, abuse, dishonesty, waste, malfeasance in society and public and private institutions in order to make society more transparent, ethical society. Um, we run an organization called Project Veritas, which is a nonprofit featuring whistleblowers and undercover people. And we go around 
effectively trying to expose the world because we believe the media is not doing that. They're not, they're not giving you the reality. They're, they're regurgitating what the people in power want you to know. We want to publish things that uh, they don't want you to know. So this book is kind of a how-to manual, uh, how to do journalism in clown world that, that we're living in, this dystopian reality. And it's, and it's not easy. It's, it requires sacrifice and struggle, and, but it really tells some amazing true stories about what we're, what we're doing and some of our whistleblowers that we have working with us. I hear that. How did you even get into this line of work? Because what you do is not really like what anybody else does. A lot of people think different things when they think of the word journalism. Um, but I think that the way you go about doing things and the waves that you've made have come from a totally different approach. So what is it that even got you into this world? Well, um, good question. You know, I, I've been passionate about, I guess, all of us. I think I speak on behalf of a lot of Americans, um, you know, read the paper. There's not really newspapers anymore. But when I was a teenager, I'm 37 years old. When I was grew up in New Jersey and I would watch the local news and, and I went to college and I read the newspaper every day and I kind of felt outraged by what I was reading and, and hearing and seeing. And I felt like um, things were not uh, as they seem and rarely as they ought to be. And that, that uh, inner, I guess, intuition or, or contempt for how the information was presented mandated that I do something about it. I didn't know what to do at the time. And I didn't go to journalism school. I majored in philosophy. But I decided to start a column at my campus, on my campus, uh, Rutgers University. I, I uh, wrote this column and I started doing local reporting. I started to ambush my professors with a camera. I, I did one, I did a stunt journalism where I sort of like Borat, I went into my dining hall with a box of Lucky Charm cereal, myself being an Irish American. And I said it offended my Irish heritage, the Lucky Charms leprechaun. <laughs> Obviously, I was trying to shock them. This is in 2005 when irony was not dead yet. And they shocked me by saying, oh, yes, Lucky Charms are racist. We'll take them out of the cafeteria. So thus began a, <laughs> thus, and I, and thus began a, a crusade, if you will, mm -hmm. to expose them for being who they are, right? Because when you do this sort of first-person observation, hidden camera reporting, oftentimes it's not me telling you what to think. You are showing them in their own words. And, and, and that's very powerful when, when, you show, when you show people so you don't have to you don't have to explain things. You get them on tape being who they are. Therefore, no explanation is required. Mm, I hear that. What does the word journalism mean to you? I think journalism means exposing things that powerful people want hidden for the wrong reasons. You know, anything else is just public relations. And there's a great meme um, that it shows a man with a megaphone running towards the podium. That's how journalism used to be. Mm -hmm. And these days, the man runs away from the podium with the megaphone amplifying who, what the person is saying at the podium to the people. And the reason why that is, is because there is this tension in journalism between access and autonomy. In other words, you can't get too close to your source. And what happens at an organization like the Washington Post or the New York Times, they effectively become arms of the deep state. They effectively echo, parrot, disseminate the stuff that they want the people to, to see. Mm. And you have to challenge, you have to be skeptical. And it's a very tough balance. It's, it's not easy balance to strike. Ultimately, you have to bite the hand that feeds you. 
because if you got sources inside the government, those sources are often manipulating you. So journalism is kind of dead. And I think one of the major reasons is not political, it's economics. The newspapers have been decimated. Tech companies now control most flow of information. And all of these investigative reporters, reporters that used to exist, it's just too expensive. You know, it's easier to just opine and, and uh, you know, talk about things without having any evidence. It costs a lot of money. You get sued. We've been sued a lot. There's a chapter called litigation in this book where I talk about that. It's really fascinating. We don't settle lawsuits, but sometimes it'll cost us a million, two million bucks to go to trial. And of course, most most people just don't want to endure that. And that's that's what journal how journalism is defined and why people are not doing it anymore. I hear that. What are the what do you believe are the ethical lines and boundaries that journalists should follow? And I ask this because there are people out there who say that the work that you do and some of the stuff you've done is unethical. I imagine from your perspective and from a lot of other people's perspective, the way that the corporate media has been operating for a long time is unethical and they're constantly lying and manipulating and you're trying to get to the truth and get to the bottom of all this. But in your perspective, where... Where are the lines there? What are the ethics of journalism, in your opinion? Great question. Great, great. And there's a whole, this book, I'm fascinated by ethics. I, I, I love to read about ethics. It's a tough discipline because the beauty and bane of ethics, uh, to quote Jessica Midford, a famous muckraker from mid-20th century, it's inherently situational. It depends upon what, whether you think what you're exposing deserves being exposed. And in a world like ours right now, we're so divided as Americans, and it really is unfortunate that we are, but we are so divided that my, my friend and colleague David Delayden exposed Planned Parenthood. Now, if you like Planned Parenthood, if, you, if you're pro-choice, if you are not against abortion, you think that he should be in jail for exposing Planned Parenthood. But what he did, which is covertly record the Planned Parenthood officials in California, is no different than someone exposing animal cruelty in California. But we shouldn't treat those two things differently ethically. It's the same action. You're recording someone doing something wrong, whether you like the institution or not. So the thing about ethics is that like art, you know, you have to draw the line somewhere with morality. And I think the way to put it is that, you know, journalism, you're exposing these things. Um, uh, you, you have to weigh the harm done to the individual with the benefit to the public interest. And these days, when you're dealing with oligarchies and leviathans like Google and CNN, people think, well, why is CNN so powerful? Well, the reason they're so powerful is because Twitter and Google and Facebook prefers their news coverage and their algorithms, and those companies are so powerful. So I believe I don't blur people's faces when I record them. And, and there's a whole chapter in this book about privacy. Mm -hmm. And in terms of ethics, I believe that when you're speaking with someone, you have a constitutional and you have a natural right to record them as long as you're with them and they know that they're being spoken to. I think that it does the subject a lot more justice to secretly record them than it is to write down what they say. And I think that that's something that uh, we're fighting for in, in court and we're, we're winning in court. Um, ethics, though, is a situational discipline, particularly in undercover work, because you can't uh, justify deception in the abstract. So, but, but I believe it's a question of relative deception. If you are honest about who you are with someone in the government. Hey, I'm a journalist from the New York Times. Please tell me all the fraud you're committing. They're never going to tell you. 
the, where the bodies are buried. So yeah. if you if you're on, honest, quote unquote, with the subject, you're oftentimes going to distribute lies to millions of people. But if you're dishonest with the subject and you say that you're not a journalist, you're going to transmit the truth to millions of people. So if I had to choose, I think that's a good I think that's a pretty a pretty good trade-off, right? To 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 present yourself as something you're not, to get the truth so you can give the truth to the people, particularly in a in a country where we place the primary value on freedom of the press and, and the importance of that information. Why do you think the US is so divided right now? I know a lot of people have different opinions on this, but but what are your thoughts on why it is. I personally think that the media has played a massive role in it. I say that as an as an outsider, that seems very obvious to me. But what do you think is going on, which I'd say in the last decade in particular, I mean, the USA has always had its divisions, but it seems like in the past decade, things have really been heating up. What do you think is the source of it? That's a great, that's a profound question. It's an almost existential question. I, I, I think I'd like to focus on the media for a minute. In this book, I talk about, um, I quote Charles Murray, who says it better than I can. He says, the government is in an advanced state of sclerosis where solutions are completely beyond the legislative process. And it, it doesn't matter because if the Republicans win, then the Democrats will win two years later. And it, it just goes back and forth. And it scares me. And I think that the only thing that's going to save society's collapse is real journalism. It's consensus forming is what we need in this country. And, and it scares me to see people on the left and the right. Let's jail our opposition, you know, you know, put them in jail. I mean, the people want me in jail because they don't like me. We don't want to live in that world. And the only way to stop us from living in that world is by creating kind of a, a consensus where people are not so divided. I think the media, a particular responsibility for policing themselves because nobody can hold them accountable. Uh, there's a First Amendment in this country, and people say, First Amendment, First Amendment. Well, the First Amendment doesn't cover de defamation. Mm. And there's a whole chapter in this book about I sued the New York Times for defamation and got past motion to dismiss, which is a very difficult thing to do. You have to prove actual malice. You have to prove that they knowingly lied about you. And the New York Times admitted in court they got the facts wrong about a video where people were harvesting ballots in Minnesota. They admitted in court documents that they got the facts wrong, but they refuse to correct the article. <laughs> so you want to know why we're so divided in this country? It's like that. And they say, First Amendment, First Amendment, the First Amendment does not cover defamation. You can't lie about someone intentionally in this country. The First Amendment, you can't, to quote Oliver Wendell Holmes, shout fire in a crowded theater. There are limits to the First Amendment. And I think the reason why we're so divided is because we've gone too far in either way. The First Amendment does not cover people intentionally lying. And nobody can hold the New York Times. Think about it. Who can hold the New York Times accountable? Think of it. The courts can't. I mean, we won in New York State. A judge effectively ruled you got to stop publishing these illegally obtained attorney-client real privilege documents. And you know what? The New York Times said, screw you. So, so that's why we're so divided. And, and the only thing I think they fear is exposure. So what do you think is the way forward? Do you think the way the way forward is journalism or what can the people, what can the American people themselves do about that? Or do you think it's too late? I've also spoken to people in the U.S. who think, you know what, this this isn't going to work. Our values are too far apart. We're too different. Um, this is getting highlighted along all these issues. Maybe we could have some kind of amicable split. I've seen people both on the left side and the right side saying that. Um, 
do you think that that division can be healed or do you think a peaceful divorce is where things are headed? Yes, I'm very optimistic. I'm, I'm very hopeful, which which people people want to bask in their cynicism. I'm very hopeful. I'm very optimistic. But that's because of what I've been through. You know, in November, the feds came, the FBI raided my apartment, took my stuff and for a, a, took my two cell phones. And for a week, the ACLU defended us. The Reporters Committee, Wolf Blitzer at CNN is on the Reporters Committee. Okay. They defended us. I, what I see happening is that they push too far and they they play their hand they play their cards too far and then and then there's kind of this consensus we have to form consensus in this country and i think i think the vast majority let's call it 80 percent of people ultimately do agree on the fundamentals and i'm going to sound like a hippie here so forgive me it's all good but what unites us is infinitely more powerful than what divides us they ask they ask us to focus on our divisions why do they do that well figure it out economics Mm -hmm. it behooves them whether it's on Instagram or CNN, it, it assists with fundraising and ratings. Fear drives ratings, to quote Charlie Chester at CNN. That's another guy we covertly recorded. He said, we tried to get Trump out. We, we got Trump out, to quote him. And he said, we put the death numbers on the screen. You know, on CNN, it shows how many people died today from COVID. He says, yep. we do that to make you afraid. And, the, and you, you know, and I know, I know some people who are afraid. They're so scared. And I say, I don't want to live in that world. I refuse to live in that world. That there's two things that are required to prevent society's collapse. The first thing, you have to have courage. And the second thing is you got to have truth tellers. And whistleblowers to me are the future. You're going to see a a mass movement of people on the inside of these institutions coming out. You are going to see it. We just did a story last week inside the Department of Defense. We're doing a story next week about this vaccine's effects on children, and this is going to blow your mind. And the only, and by the way, one thing you don't do is mess with people's children. Mm-hmm. And then people say, well, O'Keefe's going to put out a divisive story. This story won't divide anybody. This story will piss off the people who are pro-vaccination. I can promise you that. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to need people to tell the truth because the only thing these people fear is being exposed. That's powerful, man. Where does your courage come from, man? I mean, we're living in an age, I, I say this all the time, I'm often <laughs> condemning people for the pandemic of cowardice which is going on and the fact that so many people are lying. I think I think deceit and cowardice are the two biggest problems facing modern Western society, and I think everything is kind of downstream from that. Yes. Um, people don't want to be honest, and people are afraid to say what they believe and even say what they know to be true. So we're living in this ongoing deception on all of these different issues from the pandemic narrative to how many genders there are and what a man is and what a woman is and like just very basic fundamental stuff and there's this distortion of reality and it feels like everybody is playing this game and there's only a few people who are willing to be straight shooters and be honest and just say what everybody everybody thinks and knows but is unwilling or afraid to say but I know that with what you do, you're, you're, you're very bold. You're very courageous. And what's the source of that? Oh, you, by the way, you, dude, you ask good questions. You should, uh, you should try this investigative journalism thing. But, <laughs> you, you know, these I, are I have enough jobs, man. I can't do any more. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just really touched on the, 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 the issue at hand, that you're right. Everything is downstream from courage. You know, courage is the virtue that sustains all other virtues. If you don't have that, then you can't do anything. 
Mm. Now, why have we gotten there? There's a chapter in this book um, where I talk about fear. And what I think, what I trace it to is the terrifying and humiliating power of the press that to do the right thing, you will, for example, lose your Twitter account. I was banned on Twitter last year, had a million followers, one million followers. And I'm not going to lie to you. It hurts to lose an account with one. It hurts not psychologically. It hurts the practice of journalism because that's my main method of disseminating our content, the, the journalism that we do. And I found people, I see people take actions to avoid losing their Twitter account. Well, let me tell you something, friend. That is a slippery slope you are trying to climb. And ultimately, if you you take that to the extreme, people will hesitate to speak the truth for fear of losing their Twitter account, whatever that means, Mm -hmm. Uh, or fear of not getting their book on the New York Times bestseller list, or fear of having a gaggle of reporters in D.C. interrogate you. That, and, and I think eventually what happens is people, to quote uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who won the Nobel Prize in the Soviet Union for writing about the conditions there, is you live in a world where people will, quote, survive at any price. They will do anything to keep, to maintain their possessions, their, again, modern day Twitter account. They'll survive at any price. And I just say to hell with it. I say, damn the torpedoes. You want to <laughs> you want to raid my home? Well, go ahead, make my day, because I did nothing wrong. I didn't break the law. Journalists are protected by the Supreme Court in a case called Bartnicki v. Vopper. They can send me any documents as long as I didn't. We weren't involved in the participation of the theft of those documents. And and my, my position is to be transparent. I think this is a very important thing. You have to behave ethically. You have to behave like people are always watching. We lost our privacy a long time ago. I'm talking about citizens. And and you have to behave like you don't have any secrets. This is our cross to bear as 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 patriotic Americans, and and you do have to have uh, courage. And the people that have to have the courage are the people on the inside of these institutions that see the impropriety, that see the fraud. They have to do something about. It. You might give up your 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 livelihood. You you might give up your job, your pension. You might give up your pension. But you know what? There's more to life than your damn pension. And there are websites like GoFundMe, not Go, Give, Send, Go, Christian uh, alternatives to GoFundMe. Mm. And these crowdfunding websites have raised half a million dollars in some cases for each of these whistleblowers that have come out. People like Jody O'Malley inside Health and Human Services, Morgan Common inside Facebook, the Pfizer whistleblower, uh, Melissa released emails showing the vice president of Pfizer Pharmaceutical saying we need to lie to people about how we develop our vaccine. We would know none of this without these brave people. And courage is very contagious. When people do it, you inspire an army to do it alongside you. Absolutely, man. I love that. I want to I spend a little bit more time on that courage issue because this is something I, I deal with constantly with what I do. So I can imagine you get the same because there will be someone who's listening to this right now. And right now in their brain, they're thinking, hey, I have a job. I have kids. It's easy for you guys to do this. You're you're self-employed. You can even make a living off of speaking the truth and saying mm-hmm. things that are unpopular, etc. But we normal people uh, can't afford to do that. What what what's your response to that? Well, I've, my my response is it takes two different types of courage to fight a war: physical courage, to quote von Clausewitz, military philosopher, or moral courage. And you're talking about moral courage. And you say, well, James, you know, you you have this nonprofit. You 
You can sustain yourself. Well, I didn't used to. Well, I started in my dad's garage and there were moments, there was a moment in my life when the, uh, I got a letter from Planned Parenthood. This is, I had no money. I had no organization. I had no safety net. I had no lawyers. And Planned Parenthood asked me to take down the video that I did with Lila Rose exposing statutory rape. They said they were going to incarcerate me under uh, uh, statute 632 of the California Penal Code, uh, which makes it illegal to record people, although we did it in public where it was legal. And I had a decision to make. I had a decision to make in that moment in space and time. I could take down the video, thus avoiding whatever incarceration, or stand by the video. And I and this little voice inside of me said, you know what, I'm going to send this letter to some reporters I know. And Bill O'Reilly at the time, we sent the letter to Bill O'Reilly, Lila got on the O'Reilly factor and Planned Parenthood backed down. So sometimes by saying damn the torpedoes and running towards the fire, you send a message to other people that they can do it too. And it's not easy. I, I'm not someone who works for Google. I don't have kids yet. I will. Mm-hmm. And I had someone say, James, well, you know, you, you, you know, having kids, that's, you're lucky you don't have kids. It would traumatize them. I disagree with that, actually. If, if my children saw, saw me that morning being put in handcuffs by the FBI, I, 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 as long as I communicate that effectively to my family, I think that can bring resolve. And I think that could bring strength in my children. So I think we cannot live in fear. It's a very dangerous thing. It's it's a very talk about the pandemic. The real pandemic is fear. Agreed. And Agreed. I, the only way to to solve that problem is to lead by example. The only I can't I can't philosophize people not yeah. to be afraid. The only way to eliminate the fear more so is to have people go out and do this. And there and I'm telling you right now, you'll meet such a person next week. You'll meet such a person who is a medical professional. And who shows you some revelations that will shock your conscience. And that's the future. Can't wait to hear. Can't wait to hear them. And for people with kids, I've said this multiple times, but, you know, also think about the future you want them to inherit, right? Do you want them to live in a society that is less free and they, they no longer have freedom of speech and they're no longer able to do all the basic things and have the basic liberties that we have and that we've grown up with? Because I think the most important inheritance you can give to your children surely beyond life is you know human rights liberty and freedom to uphold that for the next generation so i know with me even though i don't have kids yet i often think about okay what kind of world do i want my kids to grow up in and if i sit on the sidelines and abdicate all of this responsibility whilst yeah. everyone else is also abdicating it then what am i going to say to my kids when all of a sudden they're you know, living in a world where they need permission from the government to, to go outside. Well, there's a, the first chapter of this book is called Suffering. And you might say, well, why the hell did you, the first literally thing that's about what we're talking <laughs> about. I mean, I've suffered. We've suffered. I mean, my, no, the people that are the whistleblowers, David Delayden, and Andy No. Andy No was assaulted in Portland, Oregon. Yes. David Delayden was raided by Kamala Harris's DOJ in California. Uh, Richard Hopkins, the postal worker, was interrogated by, the F, by an FBI stool pigeon who was the inspector general and a guy named Russell Strasser literally forced him to recant his statement and wouldn't let him speak to his attorney. This is suffering. This is struggle mm-hmm. and it hurts. But the one thing I've learned in my, in my tenure doing this sort of work is that bad guys do bad things, but the world is round and it catches up with them. It, it, it really does. They might get away with it for a little while, but the truth is extremely powerful. I'm so glad that Russell, there's a chapter in this book where 
you actually get to see a transcript of this interrogation by Russell Strasser, this deep state guy who was from the inspector general office threatening this mailman. And thank God that Richard Hopkins, the mailman, recorded the interaction on his phone. It was, a, it was amazing to, see, to read and hear this threatening North Korea-like, this is the United States wow. of America, North Korea-like, you must not tell the public that you saw this backdating of this ballot. But you know what they fear more than anything else? They don't fear the courts or the Congress. They fear the iPhone recording of them. That's what men like Russell Strasser, and I like saying his name on your podcast so everyone knows his name, Russell Strasser of the Inspector General's office fears the most. He fears his voice being recorded as he does that. That's the only thing they fear. And we're going to have a mass movement of whistleblowers doing this. No doubt, man. I can't wait to hear what comes out of this. James, I know that uh, you've got more interviews to do today, so I want to be respectful of your time. But let people know where they can find out more online and where best to follow you and tell them a little bit about where they can get the book as well. Well, we're a nonprofit, so we have no advertisers, which makes us very independent. We have donors. We have tens of thousands of people who give us five bucks, a hundred bucks, a thousand bucks. And purchasing this book, all proceeds will go to our charity, our 501c3 foundation, Project Veritas help pay the salaries of our journalists and learn about their stories. And maybe you'll be inspired. Um, and maybe you'll be inspired to blow the whistle one day or your friends will. Um, but learn about what it takes to do it and, and how we can prevent society's collapse. We have to stop this division in this country. Um, there's only one truth. There's not, you're not entitled to multiple realities um, unless you're Stephen Hawking. You're not entitled to multiple dimensions Two plus two equals four. And the freedom to say two plus two equals four is everything. So pick up a copy of the book, American Muckraker. It's uh, on Amazon or AmericanMuckraker.com. Awesome. And James, where's the best place for people to follow you these days? Um, Telegram, Getter, Instagram. We're everywhere but Twitter. We're on Facebook yeah. so far. We'll probably lose that at some point. But uh, <laughs> follow us everywhere. Project Veritas or James O'Keefe III on Instagram. Awesome, James. Thanks so much for your time, man. Hopefully we can talk longer next time, but really appreciate it, man. Yeah, can't wait to meet you one day. No doubt. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a bang, click and I bang, y'all gon' remember the name. Y'all gon' remember the name. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.